I'm Tess Viglund, and as we work, we're pushing ourselves to keep at it. What motivates me at work? Honestly, I've got to procrastinate enough to where I've got like that fire of like, I gotta get this done and then I do it. The motivation for me, I don't, I don't like to fail. I'm not, I don't do well with failing, <laughs> so I don't like to fail. What motivates me at work? Lunch. <laughs> This is As We Work from The Wall Street Journal, a show about the changing workplace and everything you need to know to navigate it. That was Courtney Henson, Jillian Gordon, and James Billsborough. We talked with them on the streets of New York City. Work. It's a grind, a slog, drudgery, or maybe just meh. Lack of motivation can strike anywhere along your career arc, from first job to last. It's normal and common, and it feels terrible. So what happens when you find yourself in a work funk that doesn't seem to be just a few bad days? Do you split, tough it out, and hope for the best? You have options, and we're going to motivate you to explore them. That's coming up. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm sure many of you have heard this phrase, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Allow me to puncture that bubble. There is no job, not one, where every single day is a springtime walk through the park. Except maybe if you taste ice cream flavors for a living, I'll give you that one. But even then, won't your tongue get tired of sugar? For the rest of us, there will come a day Multiple days, weeks, months, where you just feel blah at work. Maybe bored, maybe unchallenged, maybe tired of doing the same thing over and over. It can even happen in your dream job. Feeling unmotivated is a natural part of your work life. The question is what to do about it. You may think you only have two options. You could stay and keep slogging through the workday, or you could go find someplace else to work. But those are not your only choices. And especially now, when the job market is so tight, some employers are helping workers find new career paths that keep them motivated and keep them from leaving. That's what we're exploring today. And our first guest makes her living studying the best ways to keep workers engaged. Allison Gabriel is a professor of organizational psychology at the University of Arizona's Eller College of Management. She's also an associate editor at the Journal of Applied Psychology. Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. This is great. Why do people lose motivation at work? What are they not getting that they need? One of the things that I think we underestimate is how much people have these three underlying needs. They want to feel autonomous at work. They want to feel competent in what they're doing. And they want to feel connected. They want those relatedness needs met. They want to feel socially connected to other people. 
And so a lot of times what we tend to do, right, is we focus on the extrinsic reasons why people are working, money, promotions, incentives. And, and those things are certainly good and they're certainly important. Uh, and I think we've seen that a lot over the last few years with the Great Resignation and COVID that people are really looking for those intrinsic reasons, those, those meaning makers in their work, and we need to help them find them. Is it important to have all three of those? Can you have two out of three, one out of three? Yeah, you really want to kind of max them all out. Uh, and because they're all doing different things for you, right? If one of those kind of goes out, that's going to be a really important signal and you're going to start to notice it, right? Like, wait a second. Yeah. I really love my people and I'm good at this, but I have absolutely no control over my work. I think that's what we're starting to see when people are having to go back to work in person. They're like, wait a second. Wait, I had a lot of autonomy and now it's being taken away and I don't like that. Certainly there are some people that want to go back, but I think we're underestimating how much all three of those needs really need to be in place for people. And it's so interesting that you do mention those extrinsic values. It might be easy to think that, oh, if you're getting like a huge paycheck, then it's going to overcome any losses in those intrinsic ones. But your research says no. Right. And again, so I, I love teaching motivation. And sometimes when I teach this topic, someone will say, oh, so you're saying that I don't have to pay people, right? You're saying extrinsic <laughs> doesn't matter. And that's not it, right? Everybody like we, should we, we volunteer. Want... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This is a volunteer workforce. <laughs> I think the, the first solution people think of is like, well, let's just throw money at the problem. But that's usually not what the issue is, right? And, it, and if we do that, it kind of puts a Band-Aid on the situation. Yeah. Like, well, I just got a pay raise. So maybe this is okay. And then we'll see people will kind of sit in their work longer and they're like, no, that, that's still not OK. Right. I still don't feel in control. Maybe I still feel like, you know, there's incivility in the workplace or I'm not really connected to people around me. And we're still going to start to look outward. Right. We're going to say, where where can I find similar pay, but bring the intrinsic joyful elements of my job back into focus and back into alignment. But it's the intrinsic stuff that starts to really nag at people and say, you know what, something's not right. How much of this motivation do you think needs to come from within an individual? Like, you know, you need to figure this out for yourself and figure out how you're going to get it. And how much of that needs to come from outside, from an employer or or elsewhere? You know, the one way we think about these intrinsic fun, positive elements of our job is to think about, you know, do I find the work interesting? Is it fun? Is it engaging? And certainly those are all going to be very self-directed kind of assessments that you yourself are appraising and thinking about with your job. But another part of this intrinsic motivation can actually be uh, goal alignment or value alignment with your organization or your coworkers or your work team. And so we can find that even these external signals in your environment can fulfill those intrinsic needs, which I don't think we talk a lot about. What would be an example of that? KPMG is one good example. They had a purpose initiative a few years ago where they really helped convey to people, you know, your job is important because you are helping us at a much broader level. You are helping us combat terrorism or champion democracy. And they found that the employees who worked for leaders who were discussing this higher purpose, they were more likely to say that it, KPMG was a great place to work. They were also less likely to think about quitting. Mm. Uh, and they had actual turnover quit data and found that the two groups were pretty dramatically different. Uh, so a 9.1% quitting versus 5.6. And so is this fun, but also is there purpose? Right. And, and when, if you can do both, that can have some pretty powerful effects. So we're talking about the company writ large uh, here, but mm -hmm. clearly 
a good deal of the responsibility is going to fall on direct supervisors to provide that kind of motivation to to offer it at the very least. So let's get practical here. What can managers do to help their employees stay motivated? Managers can do a lot. Uh, and to promote motivation, engagement, and well-being, it really should be a dialogue between all parties. Um, but certainly what managers can do is really think about how they're framing kind of work goals. Uh, so when we think about common ways people think about why they're doing their work, when they say that they're doing it for really extrinsic kind of controlled reasons, it's often because they feel forced. Uh, they feel like they're in a situation that they have to do it or that they're just doing it because, you know, they're told, you know, well, you're getting paid to do this, so go do it, right? Mm-hmm. That's when the pressure is on, that's a natural lever to pull of like, look, you just have to do it. And if you don't do it, this is going to be a problem. But that's also going to be really demotivating versus, you know, maybe under under the same scenarios of work pressure, taking a step back as a manager and really communicating to your employees of like, look, the pressure is on, but here's why we're doing this. Here's why you're valued. So let's bring it back down to the individual who also, of course, has responsibility for their own motivation. And I know that in your research, you've looked at how our emotions and motivation interact over the course of a workday. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I love taking a very within-person, day-to-day approach uh, because I truly believe that who we are each day in aggregate kind of starts to reflect our sense of self, right? And, And how we feel emotionally or our motivation each day is really, really, really going to be in flux. And I think that's a big message to give people is, You know, if you have one day where you feel really demotivated, do not view that as a signal that your entire job is terrible, right? Right. Do not jump to the conclusion that this is bad. Well, and you've even talked about like intraday that we change. uh, I mean, it sounds like biologically that there are points of the day where we feel the need for one thing and points of the day where we feel a motivational need for something else. Completely. Yeah. Back in 2015, uh, my colleagues and I published some research in Journal of Vocational Behavior. And what we found was that for intrinsic motivation, I think kind of fitting with our theme today, the effects of intrinsic motivation on job satisfaction were just consistently good throughout the workday. But what was really interesting was that these extrinsic reasons for doing our work, so because someone else wanted me to do it um, or because the situation demanded it, when employees reported doing those things or being motivated for that reason early in the workday, that actually benefited their job satisfaction. Uh, It was later in the day when they were more fatigued and more exhausted that they felt like that was a problem, right? And so the effect actually completely flipped. Uh, And and that's a cool, like practical twist. And again, it gets back to this idea of job design of, you know, maybe extrinsic reasons for work. Maybe there are days we can think about structuring our work where we kind of get the extrinsic reasons for work or the demands or the tasks out of the way early, And then later in the day, we just save that for the things that we know we really, really want to do when we're feeling really fatigued and exhausted. How does all of this translate over the course of a month, a year, even a whole career? Because, you know, again, we're kind of talking about that. Maybe you're hitting that 10 year mark, that 15 year mark in your career. And you're just like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, and I, or, or you've just come out of, you know, a two year pandemic and, <laughs> and you're feeling yes. like very, very unmotivated. 
Yeah, I feel like you're speaking to me because I'm coming out of this two-year pandemic and I'm going into <laughs> my 10th year post-PhD, so this is my 10th year. There you go. The good news here is that we tend to get better over time with knowing what is going to motivate us and what is not going to motivate us. I study things day to day because I truly believe that those have that additive spiraling effect over time, right? So if I see over two weeks that you're really burned out or that you don't value your work or you feel disrespected, I have a lot of questions in how you're going to feel a year from now because those things start to build over time, eventually to the point of people quitting. Alison Gabriel, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you so much for having this very motivating conversation. This has been a lot of fun. So how does this work in the real world? Telling anyone in the workplace that you're feeling unmotivated is a scary proposition, and you probably think nobody wants to hear it. Except maybe they should want to hear it so they can figure out how to help and maybe keep you around. We'll find out how that conversation went in one workplace and how the example could apply everywhere. Stay with us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Great Resignation seems to be all about quitting, but our next guests have what you might call a demotivation recovery story that kept an employee and an employer together. Marissa Dekai works at Adobe. Mark Lipscomb is one of their top execs in charge of talent. Marissa was on the verge of leaving to find a new challenge and ended up going to Mark before that happened. Did it work out? Well, let's see. Welcome to both of you. Great to be here. Thanks, Tess. Nice to be here. So with the great resignation, uh, I think a lot of people are wrestling with motivation at work these days, right? A lot of them end up quitting their jobs, finding new ones, because there's just this sense of can't get myself motivated for what I'm doing now. And I know this is a path that you thought about, Marissa. So tell us about the moment you thought you wanted to leave. Sure. The last 15, 16 years of my career I spent in marketing and 10 of those years at Adobe as an enterprise marketer. And it was really when I started reaching my 10-year anniversary just last year is when I started to go through this deep reflection around what am I doing? You know, Adobe has this really great thing where we get a sabbatical every five years of service. And I remember when I was thinking about the work that I was doing, I'd reached a place where I had the most broad and complex scope I'd ever had, but I was also in a place where I never felt less connected to the work. It wasn't really exciting to me anymore, motivating to me anymore. Um, I decided to interview externally and explore do I just not want to be doing what I'm doing anymore at Adobe? Or do I want to do the same job, different scenery, different company? Um, and really in, in interviewing externally, it solidified two things for me. One is if I'm going to keep doing the same job, I'd rather do it at Adobe. But two, it really solidified that the work I want to be doing is actually no longer in marketing. 
So what did you do? So I started to literally write down the things that I enjoy in my job every single day. And I opened myself up to the fact that those might not actually be anything that has to do with marketing. Um, What are the things that bring me joy? And those started to become realizations that it was all about spending time with my people, coaching, developing our future leaders, mentorship, organizational design, anything that had to do with people, development, talent, and just kind of team-related activities. So what was that moment that you did decide to stay? What was that for you? Was it that, that list of things that brought you joy, or was there something else? I think it was a combination of being able to articulate the things that I wanted to be doing, and then you know, being able to admit to Adobe that I might want to take a different path. You know, it's a really scary thing to say, what if the dream that I'm supposed to want isn't your dream anymore? What if the critical role that I'm playing for this company isn't something I want to do anymore? All right. So Mark, Marissa came to you. Um, can you give us kind of that scene? What, what did she tell you? And what was your first reaction? I mean, honestly, at the beginning, it was really just listening mm. and just saying, okay, and then asking some probing questions back. Well, but you're so good at marketing. Like, why aren't you excited about your role? Like, what what's missing? Because uh, usually when somebody's as successful as Marissa was in her role, it, it is surprising that something would be missing. At that point, were you like, oh, no? <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, I, that's about timing. It's like, well, at what point are you on this journey? Are you so demotivated right now that you're ready to leave or you're telling me this now so we can help figure something out. And fortunately, it was the latter. You know, even just going to your boss and or anyone in the company and saying, you know what, I don't like my job right now. Like that, <laughs> nobody wants to hear that, right? That's a pretty risky proposition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'd rather have an employee say that out loud versus give us a resignation letter and tell us they're leaving. Because yeah. I think too often that conversation doesn't happen and it's too late. So let's talk about how you got to this this pivot point. Marissa, did you have any idea kind of what you what else you might like to do at Adobe? Or was there a process that you went through to, to figure that out with Mark? I mean, I don't think it was a formal process. And one of the things that people kept telling me, you know, peers or former bosses of mine were, oh my gosh, someday you're going to make such a great CMO, keep doing what you're doing. Let me just point out that uh, CMO is a chief marketing officer, right? Oh, yes. Thank you. I was trying to envision myself as a CMO and I just didn't connect with that. And I think that led me to then feeling, you know, really deeply that I wanted new challenges, wanted new problems to solve, wanted new scenery. But I don't think, you know, it was really an informal just writing down things that I like doing and taking the jargon out of it, not things I was delivering or artifacts I was responsible for producing, but literally behind all of that work, what do I enjoy doing? All right. So, Mark, what did you do with that? (laughs) It was great that Marissa actually, because, you know, employees will come and say, I'm not motivated. Okay, well, I'm not a mind reader. What what drives you? What is motivating? <laughs> You're not? <laughs> you know? We expect all our managers <laughs> to be mind readers. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. You'd think so. And so a lot of it was just more pushing Marissa on what energizes you, what's important to you, you know, what's giving you that sense of purpose in your role that gets you excited to come to work every day. And then what are those talents and skills that you've done in your role as a marketer, but you also could do in other roles? So Marissa, what are you doing? Sure. Yeah. Right now I'm an HR business partner 
And, you know, really our job is to strategically partner with the most senior leaders at Adobe and help them build their own leadership capabilities and drive high performance within their teams. And that's what I'm doing every day. And you're feeling motivated? I'm loving it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not only motivated, I I was telling Mark, I was waking up just reinvigorated, feeling I'm going to have challenges today that I might not know how to solve. And that was exciting, that I'm going to learn, that I was scared again in my job in a good way. Yeah. I was going to say on that one, Marissa, I remember when you said, though, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) I said, well, that's good. You know, we, we talk about learning outside your comfort zone, and now you start a completely new job, and it's all about learning. So, Mark, I have to say, it seems like you were able to show a lot of empathy here. One thing that I'm really proud of at Adobe is, you know, we, we do value folks moving into different parts of the company, and we want your career to span many roles in different teams. And we encourage people to do that. We, we really encourage folks to, to think about doing something different, because like we said earlier, that really... It drives a lot of learning, and it drives a new perspective in those functions. How does the company actually do that? Like, How how do you make that message clear to employees that something like this is not just okay, but encouraged? Yeah, one of the most important things we do for all of our open roles, we look internally first. And so just about a third or more of our roles are actually filled with uh, current Adobe employees. So our recruiters, prior to actually going out and looking out on the market, will look at the Adobe market, basically. And for the first few weeks of that that role being open, uh, we actually require that we look internally first. And so our, our employees have first dibs, if you will, to any open roles at the company. So this pivot and all the special attention to Marissa's motivation, uh, it was possible for her, but how has it played out for other people? Mark, have you ever had a kind of a situation where someone came to you with this and and there just really wasn't somewhere else to put them. Oh, absolutely. Having those transferable skills is not always something that, you know, there's an open role at that time. So some of it's timing too, right? So if somebody says, I want to do something different, they want to do it different and they want to do it now, then they may have to go to another company uh, to do that. It is definitely a combination of, you know, having the transferable skills with the right timing of there being an opportunity in the company. So then I want to ask both of you kind of what the lesson is here Marissa, maybe you can address the lesson for people who are feeling that lack of motivation in their jobs uh, at this point in time, whether because of the pandemic or not. And then, Mark, maybe you can address what companies should be doing about that. Yeah, I think for me, it's believing in these transferable skills and not getting locked into what is the natural progression of the role that you're in. And knowing that you can continue a career that maybe isn't anything like the one you were dreaming of or that you're supposed to be the path that you're supposed to be following. And that's a scary thing to do. But when you open yourself up in that completely different way, um, lots of doors, I think, can open. And maybe even just as basic as have that conversation. Yes. Yes. Be brave. (laughs) I was going to say exactly that. I think what companies need to do, and it's going to sound pretty basic, but what we tell our managers all the time is have the conversation, really continuously checking in with your employees and and showing that you value them and appreciate them. Conversations about their people's career paths and, and how they're feeling, not just about business topics. Let's first start with, how are you doing? It's such a simple question. <laughs> how are you doing? Yeah, right? It is. It's such a simple question. I'm fine. Great. Let's go. No. How are you really doing? What's on your mind? It should be an expectation for every manager in the company to have that conversation. Marissa Dakai and Mark Lipscomb, both from Adobe, 
Thank you both so much for chatting with us today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you so much. So you do have options if you're feeling less than motivated at work. But if you're at the point where it's just time to move on, you could join millions upon millions of your fellow Americans and quit. The great resignation, the great reshuffle is still underway, so you'd be in good company. But before you put in your notice, make sure you won't become part of the great regret. More in a moment in our pro tip. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. And finally today, our pro tip, and for all we've heard about people deciding it was time for a change in their careers over the last couple of years, there's been a bit of second guessing as well. Catherine Dill of our Life and Work team is here with some advice to avoid quitter's remorse. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. So we're all familiar by now with with the Great Resignation, which is also being called the Great Reshuffle because... You know, people didn't just leave, but they often left for other jobs. Um, And now it sounds like it's safe to say we're seeing some great regret. We are. Yes, there are some folks who found that the the grass isn't always greener on the other (laughs) side of the job search. Well, what are some of the reasons behind this buyer's remorse that we're seeing and, and how significant is it? You know, some of it is what people described to me as a sort of professional version of FOMO or or fear of missing out. You know, (laughs) people are logging onto LinkedIn every day or, you know, going to dinner with their friends. And it seems in some circles like everyone you know has just gotten their dream job, an enormous promotion, a life changing raise. And so for some people, they're finding that even if they're content at their at their job, they're they're developing a sense of, well, why not me? Right. You know, why shouldn't I be having this as as well? And they're and they're getting out there and joining the job hunt, even if they're not necessarily unhappy in their current role. And others have found that in the fury to fill jobs right now, they took opportunities that turned out to be different than they were described mm. in the interview process. Is there any way to quantify how much of this is happening? We don't necessarily know how much of this is happening among workers, but we do have a little bit of a sense of worker sentiment about this. So a survey from uh, career platform, The Muse, found that nearly three quarters of workers who quit to take a new job have said that they felt surprise or regret. Among that group, more than 40% said that they would give their current employers just two to six months before switching again. And nearly half said they would actually try to get their old job back. Then what's the advice for folks who thought they'd landed in the perfect place, but have since then realized, no, it's not, uh, but they also don't want to look like flakes? (laughs) Well, 
I do think there's there's going to be uh, a general understanding when people look at resumes from this period of time in the future as to what was going on. You know, there's been an extraordinary amount of job changing, both voluntary and involuntary in the last two years. So I don't know that workers need to be worried about looking like flakes forever if they if they changed jobs quickly during this time period. But also the advice that we that we get from recruiters on this is that anyone changing jobs should be really, really clear on what it is they're trying to achieve. And what it is that makes them happy. So, you know, lots of people's inboxes right now are filling with with outreach from recruiters, and it psychologically, even if you're happy in your job, it just feels good to feels be courted. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Everybody wants to be wanted, but are those opportunities really the right next step for you? Are they really something that would make you happy, or does it just feel good to have people? you know, hitting you up to come work for them. They're going to want to get really serious about what is it that would be the right fit and then only pursuing those opportunities. All right. Well, Catherine Dale, there is never any regret when we have you on the show. Thanks so much. (laughs) Thanks for having me. We've gotten through this entire episode without mentioning one more option you have if you're feeling unmotivated in your work life. And That's because it's an option that has historically come with no small amount of risk. Risk to your bank account, risk to your reputation, risk to your career trajectory. It's the self-granted sabbatical, the grown-up gap year. And it's happening more and more often as people decide to care for family or go back to school or travel or do whatever they choose. But how do you take a break without breaking your career? It is possible. I know because I did it. We'll explore what to get out of taking time away from work and how to come back stronger and more motivated than ever. And before we go, we ask you all for your best piece of career advice. Here's one from Adrian Penna from Sunnyside, New York. Integrity, integrity, integrity in every interaction. I cannot emphasize this enough. Present honest and realistic deadlines to colleagues, vendors, suppliers, etc. It's not necessary to ask for deliverables any earlier than they are needed unless a real urgency exists, and it's also disrespectful. We'll be sharing more of your advice throughout this season, so keep them coming. What is the best career advice you've ever received? Email us at asweworkatwsj.com and let us know, or leave us a voicemail at 212-416-2394. Any messages you do leave, may be used in the podcast. As We Work is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Charlotte Gartenberg is our producer. Amanda Llewellyn is our development producer. Scott Salloway is king of the podcast castle and our supervising producer. Jessica Fenton is our sound engineer. Our music was composed by Hansdale Sue. Kateri Yoakum is The Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. I'm Tess Vigland. See you next time. <laughs>